Welcome to the Kickpod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. Hello there. Hello there. Is that the new intro? Hello there. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I'm feeling really good today because unlike the rest of the week, I've had a good sleep, so I'm ready to chat and I'm awake. Although you're, I don't, I don't sound very. <laughs> oh my god, I'm yawning as I'm you're saying that. I'm still struggling had, to put a sentence you together. You have had but. a hard week because your child, mm. like love Harvey, we love him. Love but him. He thinks he's an adult and mm. he doesn't need naps or sleep mm. going to bed early. And mm. I think he needs a reminder, Harvey, you are four months yeah. old and yeah. you need to have naps in the day longer than five minutes. Yes, yes. He's definitely hit that four-month regression that people do warn you about. And I know every baby's different, but basically he's in a stage at the moment where he's having his cat naps, which are about 20 minutes long in the day. So not very long at all. And then... He's awake and pushes his awake time to way too long. So then he gets overtired and then he doesn't want to be put down. And when he does get put back down, he has a cat nap. So he's just very (laughs) tired all day. And then he's overtired at night and very restless at night. And yeah, it's been, it's been really hard. Um, And it's really testing on Josh and I will admit like there is when you're that sleep deprived and you've had that many days and nights in a row that hits you, it is super hard to stay calm and positive I mean Mm -hmm. we still have those moments where I can feel when Josh is really struggling and I'll go you know tap in and um sometimes it takes a little bit to you know let him let me do that you know I feel like when you're when you're stressed and you've been trying to put him down and then the other person walks in to try and help you you get a bit stubborn and you're like no I can do this I'm fine I'm not even I'm fine and then you realize okay even the way I said I'm fine I'm absolutely not fine mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is it is a challenge but we're getting through um and we've taken the first step that everyone has recommended we do and we have engaged with a sleep consultant who we'll be chatting to this afternoon so I'm really excited to just talk to someone who's a professional in this space because I've heard so many people have said we wish we did it earlier. Um, and you know what? Even if it doesn't help, like we're back to where we are right now, so it can't hurt. I'm glad. I'm glad you're doing that. That's awesome. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe it's just because you're awesome that your child wants to spend. I feel like if I was your child, I'd want to spend all my waking hours with you and Aww. not go to sleep. <laughs> You're that way anyway, and you're not my child. True. See, so Harvey and I are sharing each other's vibes and energy. How are you going? Good. Yeah, good. Uh, in, rout- in routine this week. Again, I just feel like I'm, yeah, I don't know. I just, like, not, not, not I wouldn't say numb because I'm, mm. I'm doing okay. Mm. But, yeah, it's just, I think we've just, in Victoria especially, shout out to everyone i mean in sydney everywhere around australia everywhere around the world that's in lockdown it's Mm. really hard um and we've had some really bad case number days as of recent in victoria Mm. um but what i'm actually trying to do now is not even look at the case numbers i'm just looking at the vaccination numbers because we have got a bit more of a roadmap to to Mm -hmm. come out of lockdown which is really exciting Mm. so i just i'm really excited to get my vaccine next week well actually by the time this podcast is live i will have had my vaccine so i'm really excited I, um, I had mine the other day and it's funny, like I hate needles. They make me nervous. No one, I mean, we spoke about this the other day. I don't think anyone's a fan (laughs) of needles. You told the person, I don't like needles. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I'm not a fan of needles. And like, every time I say that to someone, their response is always, well, no one's a fan of needles and they're so right. But for some reason I feel the need to say it every time. Um, 
But I can tell you it was so easy and quick. And I just was like overwhelmed with emotion afterwards. Like I got into my car and like this old like 90s track came on and then I ended up just putting a playlist on of like all of my favorite songs. And I've just felt so positive and felt so good because I just feel like it was a step in the right direction for me. Me personally, I believe that I, I felt really good doing it. And for me, it's like, I could picture seeing my family and friends again, hanging out with them, mask free and just going back to normality. Like that's, it got me so excited. So, um, and I haven't had, I know everyone's reacting differently to the jabs and everything like that, but I feel absolutely fine. Just have a bit Mm -hmm. of a sore arm, but that's it. And yeah, as I said, I feel really positive and um, I was excited to do it, which is weird. I'm never excited to go get an injection. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm I'm really excited. I think as well because it's not even we're not we're not just doing something you know to protect ourselves, but mm. it's to protect the community and and be able to get out of this together. And I mm. think there's a lot of power in that feeling. So, mm. well, have you got a special share for us this week? I do, I do because um, okay, I love. So- sorry, can I just say why did I say this week? Like you, sometimes you're like, <laughs> no, I don't have one. <laughs> I should have said, um, what is your special share this week? Well, my special share is, it relates to an old special I'll share I had in an old podcast, which was um, Oh my God, don't tell I me love. Is this the, the series where you yes. recommended every book? <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so there was a while there in the podcast where I, yeah, I recommended quite a few books by the same author because I became obsessed with her. And You're a big fan writing. and she's awesome. Big fan. Leanne Moderat. Mor- oh my God, I can't even say her name. Leanne Moriarty, I think is her name. And she wrote Nine Perfect Strangers, Big Little Lies, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Special Share isn't the book, but Nine Perfect Strangers is now out as a series. There's four episodes out and now they're releasing each week. Um, The other day, because I've been really struggling with Harvey, I gave myself the day off to literally just do nothing. And I sat on the couch and watched all four episodes. Um, And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like, I loved the book. It's one of my favorite books I've ever read. So I, you know, had a lot of pressure on the series to be good. And I was really impressed. And the actors on it are just incredible. Like, there's some incredible... Like, Melissa McCarthy's on it. There's a lot of Aussies, actually, um, which is really cool to see. But um, it was... Yeah, it's really good. in Australia? Actually, I don't think so, because whilst there's a lot of Aussies... I think it was filmed in Byron Bay. Oh, maybe it was. I don't know. There's a lot of Aussies, but... Oh, you might be right, actually. You might be right. I think there's a lot of Aussies, but they're American in the movie. There's, oh. I think, yeah. You, yeah. Oh, you can rent the Byron Bay house where Nine Perfect Strangers was filmed. It is. we can't because we're in lockdown. Like, the Tranquil House is what it's called. But, like, that house that they're filming in is stunning. So, I... I I would go there. <laughs> but anyway, oh my goodness. But anyway, highly recommend the TV series. It's on Hulu or Amazon Prime Video. Thank you. I'm going to I'm actually I'm going to watch that this weekend yeah. because the weather is not nice. So we can't spend as much time outside. We can no. watch shows. And it's good. And I know so is there's a bit of drama involved, but it's not like I know some of the shows I watch aren't appropriate for you and your not anxiety inducing. It's show. not ang- nah. And there's a little bit of comedy thrown in. Amazing. Which softens the intenseness a bit. Fantastic. Mm. What is your special share today, Laws? Well, well, funny you ask that. So I've got two because they're both bad. um, (laughs) So I feel like they don't really offer much value. So the first one is I really like Kanye's new album. Oh, do you? It's weird for me. I haven't listened to all of it, but a few I've listened to. It's different. I like the song Jails, I think it is. Okay. 
it's a, I, the first song on the album is literally just the name of the album, which is is it Donga Dong Dong, Dong? Yeah, Donga 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 or something. Yeah. And the first um, song is literally just or that Donga thing. Or something. That's not the song that I am recommending. <laughs> that's not the one you're vibing. Uh, Donda Donda Donda. It's um the second one on the. It's not the second. Ah, the second one. It's called Jail. Okay. I'm not also when I recommend this, I haven't listened to the words. I don't know what they're talking about, so I'm not like recommending. His oh my god, him. you're so funny. Can I like it with them. That, okay, so you like the beat of his new yeah. song. Okay, yeah, because there's a lot of, like, poetry in his writing, as in, like, he says a lot in his writing. Yeah, well, I haven't decoded okay. it or understood Good disclaimer. It. Okay, so this is a very uh, basic recommendation. Anyway, interesting. Well, that was my first one, and my second one is a not a recommendation. I just wanted to tell you that I've watched it, which is not what this segment is, but I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to take over with it. Mm. Uh, I watch He's All That with um, Same. the TikTok one. Oh, did you? Addison Ray and um, Courtney I love Kardashian's that you've said it. that this is not a recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> so can I just say, I when I say not, I watch, I watch the whole thing. I finished Same. it. I Same. had to pause it halfway to do something and then I went back to it. So it wasn't mm. horrible. Like I wanted to I go mean, back you to paused it. it. But it was corny. But it's a good, it's good in the background watch if you want to have a laugh. It is. And I think the other thing that I had a laugh at um, was how many ads there were. Like KFC, Pizza Hut. Like all these different things that kept coming up. Uh, Bose headphones. Like, oh, let me take off my Bose. Like I was like, whoa, okay. Um, It was just so obvious. But um, yeah, it's one of those movies. I think it's like tragic and predictable, but you watch it anyway. And yeah. You know, you don't regret it afterwards. Like, it wasn't, no. like, so bad that you're like, what a waste of time. But, yes, it's probably not something that you'd be like, oh, my God, you need to see this. Yeah, agree, agree. And also, for every, anyone that has no idea what we're talking about is on Netflix and it is a movie about Addison Rae is – is she the most famous influencer in the world? She's one of the biggest t- TikTok stars there is, yeah. She's not yeah, the most. She's, she's also got more followers than us on Instagram. So oh, yeah, she, obviously. Like she's Any like TikTok a- star is now <laughs> – but that's and where she was from. She's like, on the Kardashian think, show. She's the best friends with Courtney Kardashian. Yeah. So I feel like she's she's done well. She's really and made it. <laughs> she's an influencer and in the show as well. And she has to they it's makeover. Do what she does a makeover. Okay. D and M, D and M. Steffi, take it away. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> Me and my partner met early 2020 and moved in together in May the same year, just as COVID started exploding. We are extremely similar and have always wanted the same things in life and love each other so much. We went through lockdown one and two together without major issues. We were there for each other, supported each other, came up with fun activities together. But come lockdown three, we both felt like we were starting to drift apart and we just couldn't find any joy with each other again. In April this year, we took a break for about three months, which was incredibly hard, but we both just felt like we were going to go. But we both just felt that we were going through tough times and couldn't support each other. We have decided to try again, but now come lockdown six, we're both struggling again and I can feel it seeping into our relationship. I don't know how to be supportive while also looking after my own mental health and I'm trying so hard to come up with fun things that we could do together that will ignite that flame again despite being in lockdown, but it's so hard. How do you manage day-to-day activities and staying happy and loving towards each other in lockdown after lockdown? Oh my gosh, it is hard. It's hard. I and I think reading this, I want, I thought this was such a good one because I feel like this is so real for yeah, so many you. people right now. I feel yeah. like if your relationship has flourished in lockdown, that would be probably in the you're in the minor- minority. Yeah. Exactly right because you're in a house yeah. or an apartment or wherever yeah. you live 
with the same person, which is why last week I called Dalton my housemate because seriously, he is annoying me. (laughs) It's so, I think it's so great that this question came through because it's, I really, I feel like so many people, as you said, it's the minority if you're not struggling through this. And for me and Josh, for example, you know, we've been together almost 10 years. Like this, this, this is a new relationship. Um, but if you compare it to someone like us, we're in the same boat. Like, doesn't matter how little amount of time you spend mm. together or how long you spent together. When you are stuck together every day, and you know, for Josh and I, he like we're both working from home, so like neither of us are actually leaving the house for any anything. So we're literally together twenty four seven. It is exhausting, no matter how you know strong your relationship is or um how much you have to be grateful for and happy for i mean like we have a son and like some days are incredible and we feel amazing and we feel like a tight family bond and everything's magical and then other days or moments even in those good days it's like oh my god get out like i don't want to see you right now Leave, (laughs) leave the room i i've had enough um and and i think for for us for example if i if i'll you know to touch on our personal kind of side of things. Josh is a very, very social person. He needs to see people and talk to people and he gets a lot of joy and fulfillment out of that. Um, And I'm that way too, but I'm also, I really like to be alone. And so like when you have one person who really needs to be surrounded by people at all times, one person who really thrives off alone time, and I'm struggling to find alone time these days anyway because we have Harvey, it's like, it's really hard because I often feel like I'm, snapping at him when all he wants to do is spend more time with me (laughs) i feel horrible but at the same time it's just you just you we're all over it we're all we all want to see other people we all want to and it doesn't mean you love them any less it doesn't mean you you know don't like spending time with them anymore it's just it's a really tough time that we're going through it's really hard and it's really hard to explain in any other way than like you just (laughs) it's just hard i can't can't explain it i can't explain it I agree. I couldn't agree more. Even for us, we used to love running together. And now mm-hmm. if Dalton comes on a run with me, I'm like, I get so <laughs> angry at him. Like, it's, this is so silly, but like, we'll go for a run and, and he'll, he'll have told me, oh, I want to do 30 minutes or I want to do 40 minutes. And he's such a routine person. Like mm-hmm. if he has planned for a 30 minute run, he will do 30 minutes and it has mm-hmm. to be 30 minutes on the dot. Whereas mm-hmm. I will go out, oh, I'm feeling good. I'm going to do an extra five mm-hmm. minutes. And the other day I was like... I don't know, we both thought we were doing different runs and like Dalton was so angry because I went on a different path and I was like, I can't. This yeah. is my chill time. Leave yeah. me alone. Yeah. But it's true. You just it, it is so hard. Um mm. so I think I think for this this person, um, it's and if you wanna find things what I'm actually finding, mm. the days where I mean I and I don't know what situation you're in with with work and, and everything, but the days where Dalton and I don't see each other the entire day are the days at night we have um nice the best a nicer time, time together. Yeah. So if I'm locked upstairs and he's downstairs all day working, then that usually is a nice night um also i find planning a movie night without your phones is, mm. is kind of a nice thing Agreed. to do because i feel like otherwise you just scroll all the time Agreed. um and actually like committing to a movie together and sitting there and watching it is nice making dinner together on the weekend if, if you like cooking kind of like going and making a nice recipe um going for a walk together after work i found helps mm. too um but yeah it's hard yeah it is hard and and i think what you said there about um in the question, um, she mentioned kind of like, how do you, when you want to be supportive of each other, but you know, you're trying to look after your own mental health, just take your time and pace yourself and like be, I think be open with, with your partner about that. If you're really struggling and 
I, I've gone through this point. Jo- Josh has been going through a, a hard time and, and, I mean, we both have. It, lockdown really hits people in different ways. But the moments where he's really struggled, there's been times where I've actually, and, I, and I, it killed me to say it, but there's been times where I've said to him, I'm so sorry, I feel like I can't be there for you right now in the way that you need me to be. Like I am really struggling with something else and... I really, I, I want to be there. I want to say the right things, but I feel like I'm doing, I'm doing wrong because I'm stressed myself and I can't work through this and help you at the same time. Mm. And I really want to be, you know, in a good place when I'm helping you and supporting you. And that doesn't mean that, because obviously I'm always going to be there to support him. He's always going to be there to support me. But it is really hard to fully support someone when you're struggling yourself. And I think just being open with that person and hopefully, you know, getting to a point where they, they, they're okay with that and there's other people that they can lean on. Um, and then when you are ready to support them, you're there and, you know, vice versa, um, accepting that there might be times where you're really struggling and they might as well not be in a place to be able to help you to the point that you need. And um, I think actually in this podcast, when we speak to, to Liv, which we'll get into in a second, she mentions, you know, don't always rely on your partner to be the one that like helps you get through things. And I think that was a really important message um, because sometimes we do, we automatically just kind of lean on them and expect them to help us through anything. And it can be really shattering when they're not saying or doing the right things. And you're thinking like, oh my God, read my mind. That's not what I need right now. I need you to say this. It's so like, just, if you need to lean on someone, lean on someone else and that's fine. And that doesn't mean that they're not there for you or whatever. And yeah, we just, we all need a little bit of time sometimes and can't always be there for each other and that's okay. Yes, exactly right. So let's introduce Liv Rogers. We are so excited to have Liv on the podcast. We had her on, it was actually a year, almost a year to the day ago now. Um, and we spoke all about Liv's journey with her eating disorder. So if you do want more, we didn't go into that, into it this much on this podcast because we've already covered it. So if you do want more from Liv, we'll put that episode in the show notes as well. But today we have Liv on to celebrate the pre-launch of her new book. You can now pre-order it. It is called Find Your Light and it is all about learning to accept and embrace yourself. Um, We're so excited to speak to her. One of the main themes in the book is mental health. Liv Mm -hmm. has uh, live with anxiety and depression and she speaks about how she's I suppose been able to learn to live with it um, and work through it and she's very 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 generous with with how open she is in this mm. podcast so we hope you enjoy it. Liv welcome to the kick pod again we are so excited to have you on. Thank you it's so nice to chat to you guys and see your faces. Yeah, we were just saying it's it's nice when we get to um, catch up with a friend on the on the potty because it ends up just becoming a (laughs) a bit of a catch up and a chat. It's been so long since we've seen you in person. I know it's been far too long. You've just (laughs) popped out a baby in the in the meantime. I have seen you, Laura. I think twice. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. In the past like eighteen months, which is so crazy, isn't it? And speaking of that and the past eighteen months, and then I suppose the the past few months, we all live in Melbourne um, and live with spent a bit of time on the podcast recommending things that have helped us through lockdown but we thought we would ask you as well if you have anything to share I I mean I know with lockdown I I feel like we have to be really clear on on the fact that these things don't that help us don't solve it as in like we're not walking through lockdown thinking it's awesome but I feel like there's little things we can do that make it can make us feel a little bit better um and we'd love to know how you're going Liv and, and what those things are for you I definitely go through waves, you know, some days are good and I feel like, oh, this is okay, I can do this. And then the next day I'm just 
crying mm-hmm. at the drop of a hat. Um, I I find that really practical things help. So I'm sure they're things that you have all you have recommended before, and you know they're the go tos recommended by psychologists and everybody. Like exercise, getting outside, um, spending less time on your phone, trying to get more sleep, all of those practical things. But I also find that because every day is so different. And it is such an emotional roller coaster. Something that really helps me is actually like sitting with what you're feeling and mm. writing down what you're feeling and then thinking, what do I really need in this moment? So, you know, sometimes, you know, people say go for a walk or a run, but you really don't feel like doing that. And I've yeah. seen Laura, you've been saying like this week, you just haven't felt like doing hard exercise as much and that's okay. So I think sitting in it and thinking, what do I need in this moment? And it might be like a hot chocolate or it might be a lie down on the couch and watching a a TV series that, you know, is a bit mindless. Um, But yeah, really figuring out what you need in that moment. I find that that's been really helping me. I would agree with that completely. Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes I'm feeling really fine and I'm almost like, am I numb to lockdown now? Like, am I just used to it? Is that why I'm getting through this day fine? And then other days I'm like, no, I'm not fine. (laughs) I need to see my family. (laughs) I need to get out of this house. Um, And and it it really, you do have to kind of um, change up your days as according to your, your mood, you know, when I'm having those better days, I'm more productive. I, I want to get into work. I want to get into like an intense workout and I feel really good. And then, yeah, those other days where I'm, I'm just feeling really sad. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's better for me personally to allow myself to kind of just take that day slow. Don't worry about chores that day <laughs> just yeah. like, and sit in those feelings. And I think it's important. I think that's great that you, you mentioned that, that it's, it's important to kind of tune into yourself every day and not expect to be able to do that routine that might make you feel good some days every day. I think the other thing that helps is thinking about what advice you would give to a friend. Like if a friend Mm -hmm. called you and said, this is how I'm feeling, what would you tell them to do? Because Mm -hmm. I am such um, a culprit of this. Like I will tell my friends, I I feel like I give quite good advice to my (laughs) friends and then I'm sitting feeling really crappy and I don't do the same thing. So that's been something that helps too, just sort of being kind to myself and, um, you know, cutting myself some slack because it is really hard. I think we forget that we are actually going through something that is so difficult. Mm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I loved Liv that I think it was a few weekends ago you shared that to stop kind of which we're going to speak about anxiety today and and really go into it but to stop those anxious feelings to um I think you you redid your pantry or something reorganized it and (laughs) last weekend I had a horribly anxious weekend and my house is literally reorganized like and and I've just I've just learned like enabled myself to kind of lean into that and I'm like you know what this is what I do when I'm anxious and so I said to Dalton it it helps leave me (laughs) I think because I I don't know about you but because I am quite an anxious person if I am feeling anxious and I'm sitting not doing anything, yeah. I have this guilt about not being productive. So when people just tell you to rest, it doesn't actually help me. Yeah. But then when we're locked down, there's only so much you can do. So, yeah, yeah I have sorted my wardrobe oh, countless times <laughs> over the past 18 months. The pantry, sock and undie drawer, literally everything, the garage, <laughs> you name it, it's been, it's been done. Um, but, yeah, just doing that actually really helps. Oh, I colour coordinated my bookshelf. Um, <laughs> I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> All of the things. <laughs> That's amazing. And um, I mean, speaking to anxiety, we got to say, like, we really admire how open you are, you know, on social media and everything about 
um, your mental health and your struggles and your journey that you've been on. And obviously the biggest congratulations on the launch of your new book, which is available for pre-order, which is super exciting. We're really pumped for you. And, um, you know, one thing that you do go into in the book is anxiety and depression and mental health. Um, so I would love for you to touch on that. Obviously, everyone's got to get the book to get, to get all the details, but you know, <laughs> why is it nice. important to you to you know be open about that sort of thing? And and how I suppose do you still feel anxious? And do you still get those things that you've been going through on your journey? Does that still happen for you these days as well? Yeah. So thank you, first of all. That was very, very kind. I am terrified about the book coming out, I have to say. I don't know if you guys felt the same, but it's so daunting putting so much of yourself out there. Like Mm. I know, obviously with social media, you put up bits and pieces and I do often talk about anxiety and depression and and my experience with mental health, but it's usually like a bite-sized piece. Mm. Um, Whereas this book is just such a big chunk of everything all at once. Um, So I have felt like I've been close to having a mental breakdown over the past (laughs) month um, in the lead up to it going to print and everything just feeling like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like every time I would read back over it, because, you know, in the editing process, you have to read it so many Mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. And all of the words were just starting to jumble. And I was like, oh my God, I don't think this is good. Um, The self-doubt was intense. And Mm -hmm. I think that is part of my anxiety as well. I'm Mm -hmm. definitely a perfectionist. Um, So it feeds into that. And it also just felt so ironic because this book is talking about (laughs) believing in yourself and backing yourself and and I wasn't doing that. But anyway, it's gone to print. So it's out of my control now, which is positive. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I think that I definitely still have anxiety. Mm. Uh, That's something that I manage. It's not Mm. something that I think will ever go away completely. Mm. Um, It's just how I am and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But I think the reason that I like to talk about it so much for me I find it quite therapeutic for one thing to put it out there and to know that a lot of people are feeling the same way because, you know, vulnerability, um, I feel like it, the more you share, the more other people feel comfortable to share their vulnerability as well. Um, so it's partly that it's partly selfish, (laughs) but it's also that I know when I was struggling at my absolute worst, I felt like I was going a little bit crazy and I felt like it was just me and, making sure that uh, putting it out there I feel like hopefully stops other people from feeling so alone Mm. yeah Mm. so it's that and it's also yeah hopefully it leads to people asking for help and and knowing that there you know there is help out there absolutely and and as Steph said we don't want to give away too much because Mm. everyone listening you need to get this book (laughs) it's very important it's very fantastic but I I would love to ask I mean for me personally with my mental health my anxiety has actually only kind of really shown up in my life in the past maybe five-ish years Mm. I've never I mean I think thinking back now there are things that I think I was really worried about as a child that probably wasn't normal but I I didn't really identify it as as anxiety and I I lived with it but I feel like it's only really started affecting my life that I'm aware of in the past five years can you talk through with us your journey with with your mental health when when did you start to I suppose notice that anxiety and and depression was something that that you were dealing with um and then I suppose up until to when you were able to work through it um and take control of it Yeah. Um, I think I had anxiety as a child. I wasn't diagnosed, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, reflecting on it, probably similar to you. There were definitely, uh, I had a lot of worries about things that I don't think most kids worry about. What were you worried about? Oh, like my parents 
dying or loved ones dying, um, that fear of abandonment. Um, I think a lot of it came back to my parents divorcing mm. um, because that is really common, I know. Um, and, yeah, then it sort of, I think that's where my perfectionism developed. I would throw myself into my studies to kind of cope. And I also, I wasn't a sporty kid. I wasn't particularly funny or confident. Um, so the things that I thought I was lacking, I tried to make up for with study but then I think that made my anxiety worse because I put so much pressure on myself nobody else was putting pressure on myself to do you know the best at every assignment or whatever um it just came from me but I would get so much anxiety about failing I think that was one of my biggest fears and and it still is a big fear for me it's something that I've worked on a lot and I am overcoming uh but yeah that's definitely one of my big triggers is mm. fear of failure, uh, which I do think is so common, especially mm. for people with anxiety, having that fear of failure. Uh, but yeah, it started when I was really young. Uh, it was probably the worst in my first year of uni. And I think that was due to so many different things. There was a lot of change in my life at that time. I think it can be really difficult when you go from school where so much of your study time is structured for you to suddenly be self you know driving the whole thing on your own and trying to stay motivated on your own but also working out what a normal level is so I was putting so much pressure on myself to get the best grades at uni and I was studying speech pathology which is such a challenging degree and then at the same time you're trying to maintain a social life and you're trying to work part-time and and do all these things and it was really hard so I think that's when my anxiety kind of peaked and I, ha- I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety at that point in time. Uh, and yeah, since then, I feel like it's sort of fluctuated. I, I've never felt like, yeah, okay, I don't have anxiety anymore at all. I think there's just been times where I feel like I'm more in control of my emotions and in control of how I react to certain situations. But yeah, it's something that's always going to be there. And, and I'm okay with that. I think I've accepted that. Mm. Um, I just know that... It, <laughs> It's something that I need to continue to work on to make sure that it doesn't end up how it did at one point. Um, And that's really hard, going through a global pandemic and and managing anxiety or any mental health issue. I think it's um, everything is perpetuated at the moment. Uh, But, yeah, I just I have a lot of strategies that I have to lean into. How did you overcome it from the get-go? I mean, like, once you were diagnosed... um, did you feel like it kind of validated? Did you think, yeah, okay, that makes sense to me? Or were you shocked when you were diagnosed with it? And then how did you kind of overcome it and get to a point where you, you now manage it um, in your day-to-day? That's a really good question. I think a combination of both in that I felt validated, but I also was really upset because mm. it's quite confronting having a diagnosis, especially I was, I think I was 18 at the time. Mm. And... I felt like I had failed in some way or that it was my fault in some way that I had been diagnosed with this mental health problem that I had learnt about, like I studied psychology. And I don't know, in some way I felt, well, obviously I've got this fear of failure and I thought because I knew about it, then I was sort of armed against it, which is Mm. just so not the case. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think I felt I had really complicated feelings about it. Part of me did feel relieved in that I was like, okay, well, it makes sense. I'm I'm not crazy. 
the feelings that I'm having are because of this. And also to have a plan set in place was really helpful as well. But yeah, it was definitely confronting. I remember sitting in the doctor's office and you have to fill in, I don't know if you guys have ever done a mental health questionnaire, but you fill it in and and realizing just how severe it was. I think that was really hard. Uh, but yeah, at the same time, knowing that I was speaking to a doctor who saw that kind of thing all the time, that was really comforting. Yeah. And then she had a plan and it was um, yeah, again, really comforting to know that I was going to be okay and that I didn't have to keep trying to, um, deal with these really intense feelings on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what you said there, I mean, it always reminds me, someone said to me once, you know, even therapists need therapy sometimes is in like, yeah. you could be a professional in that field and, and totally understand the human brain and mental health to, you know, pretty much the people who study it and like should know everything about it, they can still struggle um, Absolutely. with that. So I think that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome to hear that you, you got to a point of, of um, accepting that, but I think it is also quite raw and I'm sure very um, relatable to a lot of people to hear that you at the same time still felt like you failed yourself in a way because you knew yeah. about it. Well, I think that comes back to the stigma around mental health yeah. as well. It's that we you think you're stronger than that or you mm. think that you're better than mm. than anxiety or whatever but it, it doesn't discriminate and you mm. can't you don't choose to have it nobody chooses to have it um and yeah you can't necessarily avoid it you could do all of the right the you know i say it in quotation marks the right things to look mm. after your mental health but you can still be affected by it so um i do think that that's important for people to know that you know you're not weak if you are impacted by a mental health condition in any way Mm, I I think that's so important Liv I know when I had kind of come to the realization that and maybe this is you know I I do like I don't don't like using the word suffer either because I know it is sometimes you are suffering but at the same time I I feel it's 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 not always anxiety is not always a a negative I I think um we've have a psychologist that comes on the podcast uh, Dr Jodi quite often and she says that one thing I really love the way she speaks about anxiety is that we care because we care and so we mm. wouldn't you know we shouldn't put ourselves down for that but I think it's, it's funny yeah. with, with me I was so scared to to kind of speak about it openly because I was like hang on my team and this is this is not right at all that I thought this but I was literally like my my team like the kick team are gonna think that I'm incapable of leading them mm. and you know Steph might think I'm incapable of leading the team and like I'm incapable of, of being a good business partner and then you know, people on social media might think that I'm not inspiring or motivating anymore for them because I'm flawed. And it, it's funny that it's obviously not the case at all, but I think it's something that everyone grapples with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And has do to you do with. think that it's had the opposite effect? Like, I do. You, I mean, being you your thought, business partner, I would yeah. say. That. <laughs> like, you think that people are not going to respect you for it, or they might think differently of you in a negative way. But I feel like this is an assumption that your followers would have the complete opposite thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like they probably have more respect for you because you have been open about it and they can relate to you more. And the fact that they can look at someone and see that you have anxiety, but you are so, so successful and inspiring. I feel like it probably has had the opposite mm-hmm. effect of what you thought it would have. I think, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I think though what you said there, I, I think for me in overcoming wanting to share it, one of the main reasons that I did was because, and I, I'm sure you're the same, that I, I don't want people to look up to me. And, and, you know, I'm sure you're the same with people looking up to you and think that we are perfect and they mm. can't be successful. They can't achieve their dreams because 
they feel that they are flawed and they are not perfect because I think it's so important to share mm. that, you know, we're all imperfectly perfect. Um, and that's what, I mean, we never strive for, as much as I, I completely understand with anxiety, you, you really strive for perfectionism and, yeah. and I'm the same. Um, I think I think it's really nice for everyone, you know, for anyone listening that does suffer with or, or deal with mental health struggles, it's, it's okay. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be held back from things in your life and, and you can still achieve them. Yeah, definitely. And that it's not, it doesn't define you in mm. any way. Like you can be a, per- a person with anxiety who does a million things. Yeah. It's not just that you have anxiety. I think, yeah, I think when you get diagnosed or you come to terms with a diagnosis like that, um, you do sort of think, oh, well, this is just me now. Like that's, that's me. I am Olivia with anxiety and, and that's it. But it's just not the case. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I love, I think that's such a good way to think. I, I wanted to, we wanted to ask as well, with where it affects your life so obviously with trying to be a perfectionist all the time and you know doing everything to 100 percent, absolutely um do, do has it affected any other areas in your relationships with your i know that you've and you came on the podcast last time you're so open with with what you share with our audience it's so nice and, and you spoke about your eating disorder did you did your anxiety play into that definitely i i don't know about you guys because i know that you have had some similar experiences with disordered eating um I think that that was partly my perfectionism and anxiety because it was that feeling of control and Mm -hmm. when my eating disorder was at its worst uh my anxiety was also at its worst and I ended up with depression as well Mm. everything felt so out of control so Mm -hmm. I was trying to control it by restricting my food intake and by exercising more and um, it obviously didn't help. It made me so sick. But in the moment, it kind of felt like it was helping. I think it would give me like a very temporary feeling of relief and control. And then I was always striving for that very brief fleeting feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. it would be so rare that it came, but it, it kept coming every now and then. So I would just keep striving for that. Um, but in turn, it made me so, so sick mentally and physically um, over that period of time. So, yeah, I think that has definitely um, been something that I've had to really stay on top of, um, that meaning food. Mm. Uh, Mm. I've had to stay on top of my relationship with food and exercise as a way to manage my anxiety, for sure. Mm. Mm. Especially with exercise. I I feel like um, exercise is something that for me helps so much with it. But at the same time, if you're also extremely disciplined and you have that, you know, that part of your mind that you know that you have been there before, you you just have to make sure you always keep the the balance a healthy one. Definitely. And I think you guys do such a good job of talking about intuitively exercising and not just saying, you know, there are so many fitness influencers or trainers who talk about pushing yourself to do the workout even when you really don't feel like doing it and your your body doesn't feel up to it you just push through that pain and that is so unhealthy mm. because that's when you become obsessed because you don't listen to your body at all you think mm. oh no well I'm supposed to feel sore so I'm just mm. going to keep going but it's not the way it should be mm. and I think you both do such a good job talking about that and yeah I really admire you for that because I think it's such a um it's such a tricky space to be in. It's a mm. tricky space to navigate because you have so many girls looking to you for advice on exercise and healthy eating and that kind of thing. And you don't want anyone to um, mimic unhealthy habits, I think. Mm. Mm. So we have to be so conscious of what we're sharing and, and yeah, really listening to your body and 
setting aside rest days. Mm. It's all so important in making sure that I don't fall back into old habits and I don't overexercise and, and push my body too hard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I think for us, it's it's all about making sure that the the guilt is removed from yeah. those rest days or, um, you know, if you even need to take a week off, like don't feel guilty about it. I think that's where it can be triggering for some people. Um, Definitely. If they're, if they're kind of looking up to someone who's trying to motivate them to move their body every day or push themselves every day, um, you know, that's where the guilt you know, for me at least, that yeah. that's where I kind of create the guilt in myself is if I'm trying to push myself to do something like that rather than listening to my own body. Yeah. Um, but thank you for saying that. Um, I suppose with managing, you know, your anxiety and depression and, and even um, get staying on top of exercise and, and eating to a good balance, a few live these days, do you have like your favourite ways of, of – dealing with anxiety when it pops up or I mean obviously everyone's really different in the way that they need to manage their anxiety but what are the best coping mechanisms for you I have a psychologist who mm. I see regularly um she's very busy at the moment which moment which is very annoying because <laughs> <laughs> I you know if I want to book in a last minute appointment I can't get one so I just make sure that I book our appointments quite far in advance yeah and on a day when I have a session, when I'm feeling quite good, like I have a session with her this afternoon and I feel quite good today, but I'm never going to cancel because I know that it's usually in those sessions that we are more productive and we can really delve into more issues because I'm feeling mentally stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's amazing. I also actually have a Reiki healer as well. Um, She's like a heart coach, Reiki healer, Acacia. She is just amazing too. And having the support from both of them is fantastic because I love Justin, my partner. He's amazing and he's so supportive, but Mm. I think it's so unhealthy to only rely on your partner to help you, especially when you have anxiety or something like that, because there's only so much they can do. There's only so much they can say. And if you're putting pressure on them to make you feel better or ease your anxiety, then it's just going to re- lead to a breakdown in the relationship because it's just it's just not healthy. Mm-hmm. Same goes with friendships. Like I do lean on my friends. So I always talk to Justin when I'm feeling really anxious. I'll tell him, I tell my mom, I tell some of my best friends, um, but I don't expect them to make me feel better. When I talk mm. to them, it's more for a vent yeah. um, and to just let them know where I'm at. But yeah, I really lean into the professionals for the help to, to make me feel better. Um, but I also have, you know, breathing techniques. I have an Apple Watch and on the Apple Watch, there's a Breathe, the Breathe yeah. app. And I love that. Like when it kicks in and reminds me, I think it does that when my heart rate's up because it's always when I'm feeling anxious. It'll be like, hey, breathe. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I really love that. Um, grounding myself, that's something that my um, psychologist recommended. So just going and sitting outside and putting my feet in the grass um, it's been harder throughout winter, but now that the weather's getting a bit warmer, it's, it's nicer. Um, and also going through the senses. So this is something else that my psychologist taught me. I don't know if you guys have heard this technique too, but thinking of something that you can see, hear and smell um, oh, and touch. You don't have to go through all of the senses, so you might just pick three of those things. And you keep going around and it really just grounds you and brings you back into the moment and stops you ruminating on whatever you're ruminating on. Um, I find that that really, really helps me too. 
Uh, and this is not in our pre-questions. Apologies. So I've just <laughs> gone off tangent here. But uh, with your recent career move that you made, so you were a full-time speech pathologist. or part, Were you part-time or full-time? I was part-time, yeah. Part-time. And you were managing mm-hmm. that with your personal brand, which is growing so much. I'm guessing you were also writing your book because for people mm-hmm. that um, don't know the book process, you literally start writing it. Like it feels like 10 years before it comes oh, out. Yeah. So I'm guessing that yeah. that would have crossed over as well. How, how were you able to, to make that decision? Because I, I just feel like, um, and I suppose this is an assumption, but with, with you being someone that puts so much pressure on yourself, um, I, I assume that you probably would have held yourself to, you know, wanting to continue that career and have your personal brand career at the same time and wanting to maintain it. And I think the fact that you were able to take that step forward to, to the place that you wanted to go for yourself um, and, you know, you're, you're being so successful at it um, is, is so powerful. So can you talk through that, that decision for you and, and yeah, how, how you work through it? Yeah, well, thank you. I, I do think that this is something really important to talk about because I think so many people put so much pressure on themselves to do something because they think that they have to. Mm. And I think when you study something too, there is this extra pressure that you've spent all this time and money on a degree or, mm. or whatever the course is. And then if you decide that you don't want to do it, even if it's just for a period of time, it's like, oh, well, did I just waste all of those years leading to this point? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was a really challenging decision to make because I so I was working at a, a private clinic um, two days a week and I was working with children with special needs and it was really intense. I was seeing up to eight clients a day, which is mm-hmm. too many. Mm-hmm. The, I think in that sort of situation, five clients is a good amount in order to stay on top of notes and everything like that. But I kept ending up with more clients. The problem is we were getting so many referrals and Mm. I have a problem with saying no. Mm. um, So I just kept getting them. And even when I did say no to the receptionist, I think she had a bit of a problem with saying no too. So she just kept giving me these new clients. Um, So it was really, it was really full on and I loved it. It was, it's very rewarding, but it is super challenging. Mm. And it's something that you need to keep um, upskilling. You need to do professional development all the time. But I, so that was two days a week. And then on the other days, I was trying to do everything around my personal brand and and working on my book and, you know, always answering emails, producing content, doing shoots, going to events, all of the things that you guys know about. And Um, you were the face of the, um, I I remember you were the face of the the VRC, which is, is was that at that time? And that is a, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of hours involved Mm. in that as well. Yeah, well, that was late last year. So that's sort of when this all was coming to a head because I think while we were in lockdown last year, I could manage it because I would go to the clinic two days a week and it was great because I got to get out of the house and I got to see other humans because we were essential. Uh, And then everything else was a bit more quiet because we didn't have events and we weren't Mm. socialising. So I could manage it. But as things started to sort of shift a bit, I was getting so overwhelmed. Mm. I felt like I wasn't doing a good job at anything because I was just trying to you know I was constantly chasing my tail I felt like with my speech clients because I didn't tell parents what I did outside of the speech clinic they thought that that's all I did so they would expect you know immediate responses to everything at all times of the week which I totally understand and they also each parent thinks that their child is the most important child in the world of Mm -hmm. course and they think that it's kind of like they think 
their child is the only child that you see. Mm. And I totally understand that because if I was a parent, I'm sure I would feel the same way. Mm. But in that, there's so much pressure from each client. I didn't want to let them down. And then on the outside of that, I didn't want to let my clients, you know, um, ambassador clients down. Mm. So I just, it was never ending. I, Cause I would get to the end of the week and then know that the following week I was going to do the same thing all over again. I, yeah, I felt like a hamster on a wheel and I was like, something has to give. I was losing my mind and I was so stressed and poor Justin, he would do so much, you know, everything he could to help. Um, but it just wasn't getting any better. Um, so yeah, I thought I really love, I think it was Oprah who said that you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. And I think that that is just Mm. so true. Like you can, I think I'm all about women having multiple tabs open and you know doing all sorts of jobs you can do whatever you want to do but sometimes you do have to pull the pin on something because Mm. you literally cannot do everything at once and if you're doing things that you enjoy but you're doing them at the at the detriment of your mental health then it's not worthwhile Mm. like I wasn't getting joy out of anything anymore because I was just so stressed Mm. so yeah I thought what I'm doing with you know my ambassador ambassador roles and all of that stuff that could be temporary. Like, I don't know if that will last forever. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Who knows how long this industry mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. go the way that it is. So I figured speech pathology, even if I do have to, you know, upskill and study down the track to get back into it, it is something that I can go back to. You know, mm-hmm. I could be mm-hmm. 70 and practising as a speech pathologist, but I don't think I'll be 70 and doing photo shoots and that kind of thing. So <laughs> maybe you will. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Um, but yeah, so I just sort of, sort of had to figure out um, my priorities for now and what felt right for me at this point in time. And obviously I was working on the book and that was something that was really important to me. So yeah, I decided mm. that I'd take a step back from speech and it was scary because it did come with judgment straight away. Like I yeah. have been told by people, they've literally said to me, I have more respect for you because you do speech and the other work that you do. Who's telling and you that? When you say that, uh, is this like random followers? I, or yeah, yeah. It's not people to, that um, you know. Yeah, uh, I wanted followers. to ask you Oh, no, about actually that both, Laura. Yeah, I've, I've had people at events say to me, I think it's so great that you do both because I think it gives you more substance. Yeah, I just, oh, I mean... Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember, (laughs) I remember when you took that leap, Liv, you shared a few, I don't know if you shared DMs or if you ended up just kind of answering them all in one and you kind of just said, look, I've been getting this question a lot, um, about leaving. And I I saw that you felt judged by that. And Mm. I just wanted to bring that up because I think in making the decision to make a big move like that in your career, everyone naturally would think, what are other people going to think about this move? Mm. Like as much as it's your decision, your life and you know, it should only really matter what you want to do. We all think about what other people are going to think about that decision. How did you kind of work through that and kind of, was that a thought that came up in your head first of all? And then when you were getting that judgment from these people that, as Laura said, that you either knew or or, or followers, like how did that make you feel? How did you get through that? Did you ever respond to those people or did you just kind of ignore it? Yeah, I, I did do it as a whole. Um, because I, I don't know about you guys, but I find it so much easier. Yeah. Um, if you're getting bombarded with similar questions or similar comments, it's easier to just put something out there like a blanket statement and be like, here, (laughs) I'm answering (laughs) this. Um, so I expected it from, 
uh, from my family, which was so unfair on them uh, because nobody reacted negatively when I said, you know, even Justin, the first time I voiced it, I was like, I think I need to quit speech. And he was like, yeah, I think you should too. And straight away I was like, oh, okay, (laughs) maybe this is a good decision. So the more people that I told, my mum was the same. She's like, that sounds really good. I think that you'll be so much less stressed. It sounds like a really good decision. My dad was the same. And my dad, I, my dad's a doctor and he's amazing and he works so, so hard. And, um, you know, he was a big drive for me working in uh, allied health. I was scared of his reaction because I thought that he might think my other work is a bit frivolous and Mm. and whatever. But, Mm -hmm. um, but no, he said, I think that's a really amazing, brave move. And everyone that I told who is important to me Mm. was really supportive and, um, and encouraging and amazing. Not once did someone that I love say, Oh, but you have more substance with that job. (laughs) It was judgmental people that I don't know. And, I I think that that's what I had to focus on is that, you know, those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. It's literally Doctors. like, <laughs> yes, the best quote. Um, because you, if you focus on what everybody thinks, mm. you're just going to drive yourself insane. And if people are judging you, then that's their problem. Like, I don't know why someone would spend their time, waste their time worrying about what I'm doing. Um, it was tricky because I felt like, you know, people, a lot of people said to me, so what are you going to do with all of your time now? And I was like, oh my God. Like, the whole reason you were doing it was because you yeah, had no time. Literally. And <laughs> also I felt like, you know, stomping my feet and being like, I'm writing a book. Like, yeah. But also but, I've, I've really enjoyed seeing a lot of um, memes lately about like not glamorizing, you know, being overworked and yeah. pushing yourself to a point where you have no time. And there was one I saw the other day and it said something like, um, spare time, doesn't need to be filled as in like when someone says what are you gonna do with your time it's like well if I use that time to literally sit on my couch and do nothing because I need that time to wind down that's that's my prerogative yeah (laughs) yeah you know you don't always need to fill that time that's so true I think that I think we're getting the shifting away from that and maybe the pandemic has helped um because I do think there was a period where it was really cool to be busy and it was like Mm. the thing to be busy um, it's not that cool and it's not that fun <laughs> if you're just, you know, killing yourself to get work done. Uh, but yeah, I think the tricky thing for me was the fact that the book was uh, a secret. Mm. So I couldn't say to people, oh, well, I'm working on a book. Mm. I had to really sit in, um, you know, being an influencer mm. and being okay with that because it is okay and mm. there's nothing wrong with doing that kind of work I think both of you have probably felt in the past like you know when people ask what you do and if you do tell them that you're a model there's so much judgment that comes with that Mm. and I think a lot of the time we put the word just before a career like that so you say oh I'm just a model um or I would tell people like oh I'm modeling but I'm studying speech like you feel like you have to tell Mm. them something else that um gives you extra substance because people do make up their mind and and judge you based on what you do and it's just so unfair but I think it's important to feel comfortable in what you're doing and I think the more confidently you say what you do and that you feel okay about it then you won't get as much judgment from other people like if you own what you're doing then people are less likely to judge you for it I think yeah I love I love that Liv that's so powerful and then the last thing we really wanted to talk to you about was your recent 
stopping of drinking alcohol, which mm-hmm. especially during I have been midweek drinking more than I've I've never midweek drink midweek drunk until midweek drunk. We were yeah. in lockdown, and I feel <laughs> like COVID, it was like yeah. oh, I need yeah. something to look forward to at night. I oh, have cut so down on it now. because yeah. it wasn't good for my mental health. Um, and when I say I was midweek drinking, I wasn't having anyone listening. I wasn't having a couple of bottles of myself. No, it was like a glass of wine. <laughs> a glass yeah. or two of wine. Um, I wasn't just like, what's the word? Swigging? Swinging? Swinging <laughs> yeah, having cruises. a swig. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say like a bottle of Jim Beam or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway. But oh. obviously this is quite, sorry for laughing. This is a very serious um, thing that mm. you've done and it's fantastic. Can oh, you tell us you. about stopping drinking and the mm-hmm. impact it's had on your life yeah i'm while you're i'm just going to get up i've got this app that tracks how many days i'm at i've just hit 126 days wow. amazing um thanks guys i yeah i was doing the same laura last year um midweek drinking uh during lockdown two it's hard to keep track of the numbers of the lockdowns <laughs> but i do believe it was lockdown two uh, yeah, Justin and I would say, oh, you know, this week, let's not drink during the week. And then we'd get another, uh, underwhelming announcement and be like, oh, whatever, let's have some wine. Mm. And that was just happening more and more. And I think in the moment you might feel a little bit more relaxed or a little bit better about things when you have that first glass, maybe the first two, but anything after that, it does not help. Mm. As someone with anxiety, there there are studies to show how poorly alcohol affects your mental health. Mm. And it was definitely doing that for me. So it wasn't so much that, but it was more binge drinking on the weekends that was the biggest issue for me. Mm. I, generally speaking, when we're not in lockdown, was never drinking during the week, but it's kind of like I would bank it up and then mm. drink so much on the weekend. Mm. And that's been happening for years like since I was a teenager and started Mm. drinking too young with my friends we would all do the same thing we were Mm. all big big binge drinkers you know um pre-drinking before going out Mm -hmm. and and loving a happy hour you could get the two for one and Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing and I never really saw anything wrong with it because it's such a big part of social culture in Australia it's just Mm. something that so many people do and if you know you had a really big night where you ended up making yourself sick or doing something embarrassing my friends and I would always sort of make each other feel better because we'd be like oh yeah I've done that before or they'd say the same thing to me and you make you you make each other feel better you normalize it yeah so again like it wasn't like I saw something really wrong with it but I would get such severe hangover blues and anxiety Hmm. and being with Justin I was noticing it more because he doesn't get like that like he'll feel hungover and feel a bit sick but he is more than happy to just sit on the couch and and watch some tv and just start to feel better whereas I would be beating myself up in my mind over the night before even if I had not done anything wrong um Mm. I still felt really anxious and I'd had moments where I thought like why do I do this or you know when you wake up hungover Mm. and you're like oh my god I'm never drinking again like those (laughs) you know you tell yourself that I'd had that thought several times, but I'd never actually thought, okay, I need to look at this and stop drinking until it was the 1st of May. We had gone out for some drinks on um, the last night of April and it was Friday night, caught up with a friend of ours, a couple of friends of ours. We were obviously out of lockdown um, 
and we were just going to have a couple of glasses of wine but we ended up staying there staying at the pub for dinner watching the footy and a couple of bottles of wine later um Justin and I got an Uber home. We had a stupid fight. That was the other thing. We would have just ridiculous fights mm-hmm. over I don't even know what when I had been drinking because it would um, make me more emotional and just, you know, heighten everything. Mm-hmm. And I woke up feeling so awful the next day. Uh, you know, anxiety was at an all-time high and I was feeling really low and just thinking, why am I doing this to myself? Like, I am continuous, continually choosing to do something that I know has poor outcomes. Like it makes me feel shit every time I do it, but I'm still doing it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take 30 days off alcohol. And it's, it was the first of the month. So I was like, this is a really good day to start. And I just started Googling it. Like I was Googling, um, you know, 30 day, no alcohol programs or whatever, just seeing what would come up. And this thing came up called the alcohol experiment, which is a 30 day free Um, This is not sponsored. Um, (laughs) It's a 30-day program that um, you sign up for and they – she's based in America. Her name's Annie Grace and they shoot through emails every day and and it just sort of holds you accountable and um, it kept me inspired for sure. But it also um, gave journal prompts every day. So every day, I think for the first 20 days, I journaled. And on the first day, the journal prompts were – why do you choose to drink and why do you think maybe you shouldn't drink? It was something along those lines. And my list of reasons to drink, I found it really hard. When you stop and think about why you drink, it's really hard to figure out why you drink. Because if you think about like the taste of it, you might say, oh, I like the taste. But remember the first time you tried like gin or red wine, it was like, oh my God, that's disgusting. It's like, it's it's such an acquired taste. It's like we force ourselves to like these things because it's socially acceptable and and encouraged. So it was really interesting to sit and think like, why do I drink? And then I wrote a list of why I shouldn't drink. And that list was so much longer than the first one. And yeah, about, I think maybe 12 or 12 or 14 days in, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to stop at 30 days. I think this will be a permanent change because it really started to make me feel better um I have less anxiety because my anxiety from you know hangover would would go into the week Mm. it was like this overarching thing so taking that away and then having productive weekends and um yeah I just started to feel better about myself like I wasn't feeling that shame and guilt that was coming with those Mm. big nights of drinking and Mm. yeah I honestly don't ever see myself wanting to drink again now it's um I mean it's incredibly admirable Liv, that you actually sat down and like thought that through and then even googled to find a program to help you I think that's awesome um I think what you just said then like I don't think I'll ever drink again it's funny because I I mean I've got a, a really good relationship with alcohol um obviously I, I didn't have it like I wasn't drinking throughout my pregnancy and everything like that um and I am a lot, a lot more limited while I'm still breastfeeding but what I've found through having a break like that is I, and again, I, I had a positive relationship with alcohol. So, I mean, obviously everyone went through the binge drinking stage. Oh, yeah. I absolutely had my relationship where it wasn't positive um, and, you know, regret absolutely have felt that. But lately it's been obviously a really positive experience. And I think for me, when I took that time off, although it was forced time off, um, I mean, I didn't have to not drink, but it allowed me to kind of like, 
realize obviously you don't need it no one needs it you Mm -hmm. like I can still enjoy myself and be social and have fun without it and it also like I think now when I do have a glass of wine I'm I'm really appreciative of just that glass and that's enough for me and I like you know and and I feel like I'm so happy to just have one or two glasses even if it is a night out with um, people, which I don't remember the last time I did that. So it's a poor example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think stepping back and reducing it a lot for a big period of time, you either, I think like you, you either think I'm never going to want to drink again. Cause I feel great. Or when you do, you, you know, when enough is enough, like yeah. you can really see that then. Yeah. I think what you said about being social and feeling comfortable without it is a big thing. And I think mm. from people who've messaged me about the decision that I've made to stop drinking, one of the main questions that I get is how do you go in social situations without drinking? Because a lot of people think that they need it to make them fun or funny or um, more confident because it is, it's like a social lubricant. Um, that has been hard in certain situations mm. because it is, it was definitely a crutch for me. I felt like a little bit naked mm. uh, being completely sober. There was, I've read a lot of quit lit and listen to a lot of podcasts by people who've quit alcohol as well and one of the books and I can't tell you off the top of my head which one it was they said that when you suddenly stop drinking or go sober it's it's like you're living life in HD like everything feels really heightened so you notice things a lot more and as someone with anxiety I feel like my Um, perceptions of things are already heightened so it was like an extreme so stepping into a social situation prior to lockdown where there were people that I didn't know I was definitely feeling social anxiety like I hadn't experienced before where I would say and I think too the fact that we've been in lockdown for so long um, affects your social anxiety too because Mm -hmm. you forget how to make Mm -hmm. small talk well Mm -hmm. I definitely feel 100% because I'm like oh how do I do this like what do we talk about when we haven't been doing anything the thing is is we haven't been doing anything yeah even when I've had a like catch up with a friend I'm like so yeah (laughs) um what's you been up to yeah I know and I and I overshare like I I I think it's sort of my go-to to um make the other person feel more comfortable Oh my God, uh, is that I overshare. Like, oh my God, I told someone recently um, that I had chafing on my vagina from running. And I was like, oh my God, why did I just say that? Like, oh, they did not need to know that. Oh, that is me. That is so, I'm the same. I'm in a social situation and it's like there's silence. I can't have silence. Oh, you can't have silence. You really can't. I can with you, actually. No, you can't. I've even made a comment to you one time. I think we were in the car driving somewhere and like literally any time there was five seconds of silence you'd be like oh that's a nice treat <laughs> like it was like the most random things would come out of your mouth and I just would look at you like wow you really can't sit yeah. in silence you know that as humans we've really struggled to sit in silence yeah, so it's like, hard. I think it was my my linguistics lecturer he started telling us something and then he's like just paused see you <laughs> So you think that like you think that the um the screen has frozen or something because it feels so uncomfortable to sit in silence and I I do think that yeah we struggle with it more after lockdowns but (laughs) but yeah I I do I think it's like anything practice makes perfect Mm -hmm. the more times that you go into a social situation without drinking if it is something that you want to do once you get past a certain point where people stop asking you what you're drinking 
uh, people stop caring. People are too yeah. fixated on what they're doing themselves to worry about what you're doing. So you might think that it's a big issue, but it's not. Mm. Yeah. Um, but also the thing that I've found really helpful is being with people that I'm really comfortable with. I yeah. don't even notice that I'm not drinking when I'm with good friends because yeah. you don't get, you know, that high that you might think that you feel from alcohol is actually just feeding off each other's energy and being with great people. So you don't need alcohol to enjoy those kind of social situations. But I just, yeah, I think, you know, sitting with something in your hand, whether it's like a soda and lime or there are lots of great non-alcoholic options as well. I think that helps to feel less, like less of an alien. You can feel like a little bit of an alien or an odd one out. And you might've felt this Steph being pregnant, like when (laughs) everybody else has wine and you're the only one that's like sitting on a water. It's nice to have something that is a bit more interesting just to feel a bit more included. Um, But yeah, I I think having something in your hand helps and just practicing and just putting yourself into more of those situations. And then once you get past a certain point and you go home and you get into bed and you're not drunk and you take your makeup off. I never used to take my makeup off when I was drunk, which is awful. Um, and yeah, get into bed and feel really good about myself. Like mm. it feels like a little win every time yeah. that you do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people, society, hopefully we're going in the right direction where, mm. you know, when you say, oh, I'm not drinking tonight, you're not going to get, oh, are you pregnant? Or, oh, why are you drinking? Oh, yeah. oh, like judgment rather than those questions, yeah. just be like, oh yeah, cool. Do you want a soda? Like, yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. And I do find that it's getting better and my friends have all been so supportive. Mm. Um, But just on that, if there is someone listening who wants to stop drinking as well, I recommend saying, I don't drink. When someone says to you, would you like some wine? If you say, I don't drink, they're less likely to push you. Whereas if you say, I'm not drinking tonight or I can't drink Mm. tonight, they Mm. try and think of solutions or ways that you might be able to drink. So if you Mm. say, oh, I drove here, they'll be like, we can pick up your car tomorrow. It's fine. Yeah. So don't let them do that just if you start by saying i don't drink even if you are only doing it for a period of time just say i don't drink be confident with it and people just don't push back so much on that Mm. that's great advice thanks (laughs) (laughs) well thank you Liv, so much for your time um it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you we could talk for hours yeah but for the sake of the length of this one We'll wrap it up. We'll end it here. Um, now, tell us, where can everyone find your book for pre-order? Oh, thank you. My Instagram is my name, Olivia Molly Rogers, and the link for the pre-order is in my bio. Perfect. Cool. And we'll put that link yeah. in the show notes. Show- oh, I never you. say Shannon. No. I always say <laughs> Shannon. Nate. <laughs> the show Nate. The show notes. Uh, we'll put that link. And, oh, my God, Liv is a speech pathologist. Yeah. Like, <laughs> No, I think I honestly think that happens more when people know that I'm a speech pathologist. They're like, oh, dear. But I do the same thing. I feel this pressure to speak perfectly at all times, which I know I don't do. Don't worry about it. Well, anyway, the link will be in the show notes. And uh, uh, thank you, Liv. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Liv. We'll make sure we pop all of her information and where you can purchase her book in the show notes. If you would like to find out more about Keep It Cleaner, you can head to our website, www.keepitcleaner.com, or you can find us on Instagram at keepitcleaner, at laura.henshaw, or at Smith. And we'll be back next Wednesday with another Keep Pod. Keep it